That was good. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Please find your way to Luke chapter 2. I love proclaiming to the world Merry Christmas. I do it all the time because the beauty of knowing who Christ is is that we celebrate Christmas throughout the entire year. Not just when in season, but also when out of season. We proclaim Jesus in season and out of season. Amen? I am giving everyone a homework assignment. I know it's quick, but just pay attention. It's not due for a while. You have time to uh, uh, prepare for this. But I want you to, when you do this, I want you to report your findings back to me. I want you to wish someone a Merry Christmas in August 2020. All right? I want you to share. If you want to share Jesus with someone, wish them a Merry Christmas in the middle of July. Out of season. I joke, but there is truth there. There there should not be a day that goes by that the ones who have put their trust in Jesus are not thinking about Christmas. Without Christmas, we are doomed. We are in a, a dire situation. There is no hope for any of us. Without knowing the true meaning of Christmas, we are destitute. We are, we are no different than the rest of the world. We are all just collecting toys and then dying with no hope. No, no hope of any kind. If we do not understand the importance of Christmas, without knowing the true meaning of Christmas, there is nothing to look forward to. Now, can we enjoy life without understanding Christmas? Sure, but only in small moments. There is no lasting joy. The only way to have lasting joy in this life is that we must know what happens in the afterlife. You see, it's only when we understand what happens after death that we are able to completely enjoy the life that God has given us here. Amen? There, there is a, a, a news person that I like to listen to, and he said something the other day that broke my heart. He, he said that no one has proven there is a God. And now as believers, we'll say, <laughs> no, there's proof everywhere there is a God. You know, there, there's evidence everywhere that there's a creator and a sustainer of life. But an outsider, as they look in, they would say, you do not have hard evidence that the God of your book exists. The reporter went on to say that all religions of the world claim they are the only one who knows who God is. And he said they all claim to be right, and so he does not have time to investigate and investigate all of it to see who is right. And I'm saying, going, what are you talking about? You have time to investigate the politicians. You have time. You spend hours a day researching politics and the government. But you don't have time to to look into what happens when you die. You don't have time to research if the God of the Bible is real. You don't have time to even sit down and read the scriptures to see if what it says is true. The most important knowledge one could obtain, the most important in information one could, should have, is knowing if the God of the scriptures is real. This is a, that, that is a life and death decision. I want to say, and I'm going to say, we better make time. We better find out what the scriptures say. We better know if there is a God or not. We better find out if the God of the Bible is the one true living God. We set aside a lot of time for a lot of other stuff in our lives. We better make sure we take time for this research. This is the most important piece of information one could ever obtain. It's a matter of life and death. I've done some research, so you don't have to. I have done some massive research, and here's what I found. People die. 
Lots of people die. So we must look into and answer and ask that question, you know, uh, 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 what's the purpose of man? You know, we hear people say that all the time. Where did he come from? How did he get here? What happens when this body takes its last breath? Who's right when it comes to salvation? Who is the one true living God? We need to know. That reporter said they all can't be right. He was right with that statement. They all can't be right. So we need to find out who is right. And we'll begin with Jesus. Who is Jesus? What, what is this big to do about a baby born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger? What's the big to do? Think about that. The world makes a big deal about this baby born in Bethlehem and laid in the manger. The world knows about the Christmas season. So we have to wonder, why does the world know about this particular baby? There, there have been literally billions of people who have been born since the birth of Jesus. And, and yet there is no one who gets the celebration like Jesus does. Whether for the right reason or not, the world knows about or celebrates the Christmas season. I saw a special on the, about the town of Bethlehem. Now, uh, th this area is now controlled by the Palestinian Authority. A and this area used to be populated mainly by Christians, but today they say that Christians only make up about 5% of that population. Not a Christian-friendly area. But for the Christmas season, they are friendly to those who want to come and see the world-famous town of Bethlehem. They like that people want to come and see the birthplace of Christ. Why? They like the tourist dollars. <laughs> they do. <laughs> Even the Palestinians capitalize on the Christmas season. They know about the Christmas story. They do. And they like collecting money when it comes to that baby born in Bethlehem and laid in the manger. And so as you can see, the, the world does not have a problem when it comes to this baby in the manger. J just look at, look at America. The world, you know, our, our nation shuts down on Christmas Day. Everything shuts down. They, they do that so that whoever wants to celebrate the birth of this baby can do so. And for the ones who do not know the rest of the story when it comes to Jesus, they don't mind taking that day off work on Jesus' birthday. They don't mind that either. This doesn't happen for anyone else. As great as the day of August 14th, 1964 is, no one takes that day off work. <laughs> Not even me. <laughs> My own birthday. <laughs> so, for the most part, the world is okay with this baby. They're okay with that baby Jesus. He's cute like all babies. He's cute like most babies. Okay? <laughs> He's harmless, you know. This baby's not a threat. The baby's not a threat. It's a joyous time of year. We're celebrating the birth of Jesus. People are singing. We see choirs singing on TV. Like Chris said a couple weeks ago, they may not know it, but they are singing beautiful songs about our Savior. <coughs> People are clapping. They're talking about how beautiful those songs are. Everyone's decorating. It's a great time of year. Families are going to churches, all because of a baby born in the town of Bethlehem, laid in a manger. Think about that for a moment. 
One of the two times of the year that millions of people gather in the church is to hear the story about the birth of Jesus, which they have already heard. They, they, people come to hear about a birth, to hear the story about the birth of Jesus. They've already heard it. You know, you can say, hey, kids, it, it's Christmas. Let's go to church and hear about baby Jesus. So that begs the question, why would people gather to hear this story, this 2,000-year-old story, to hear this old story, why do they, they want to hear it again and again? They've already heard it. So we have to, and so the, the, so the question is that we have to ask ourselves today, is a question on which we must ponder and meditate to make sure we understand why did I come to hear about this birth of Jesus? There has to be something special, very special about this baby. There has to be something more about this baby than meets the eye. Why are we celebrating the birth of this baby 2,000 years later? He, 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 was, he wasn't a president. He was not a leader of a great earthly army. He was not rich. He owned nothing. He ends up being hung on a cross. What's so special about this baby? Why do we set our calendars by the birth of this baby? You know, as I, as I was studying, that alone should be enough light to send someone on a journey to find out who Jesus is. The worldwide calendar is based on the birth of our Lord and Savior. Billions of people have been born since the birth of Christ, and yet not one of them has done anything so great that anyone has ever said, hey, let's change our calendar. Not one. I say again, the calendar alone should be enough light to send someone down the path to find out who Jesus really is. So let's go to the scriptures. We're going to find out what is so special about this baby Jesus. Now, someone will be asking, well, why do, you, why do you go to the scriptures to find out, you know, who this baby is? You know, how do we know the Bible's true? Well, the scripture gives an account of the birth. But we know the, I like, I like to quote Bodhi when it comes to how we know the Bible is true. Bodhi Bakum says, I choose to believe the scriptures because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They reported supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecy and claimed that their writing are divine rather than human origin. Keep that in mind as we go through the scriptures today. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus and all the world should be, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when, when Cornelius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. A real event. All right? I want you to see this. Anyone can go and, and research history to know if this was a real event. Caesar Augustus, a real man, gave a real decree at the time that Cornelius was uh, a real, uh, at the time that Cornelius was a real man, was the governor of Syria. Real events, and they, and they eyewitnessed and recorded what they saw. People like Luke. Listen, Luke, the man who penned this letter here, he was a doctor and a historian. 
And he took the time to research to find out what really happened and documented the events that took place when it came to the birth of Jesus. Luke was not an apostle, but he was around when Christ walked this earth. He saw the natural and the supernatural events that took place, and he documented it. Look how he begins this letter. Flip over to chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as, have, as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Luke was an eyewitness and he, he, of, of many of the events, and he followed closely the events that had taken place, and he wrote down an orderly account of the events. Why did he do that? Verse 4 says, so that Theophilus, or people throughout history, or us today, and people in the future may have certainty concerning the events that had occurred so that everyone can be certain about the things of God. You can be certain about this, he is saying. After his careful investigation, Luke pens this letter for all to understand with absolute certainty who Jesus is, why, he, why Jesus has come, why, what he has done, and why all of this matters. This is the most important information the world could obtain right here in this book. And Luke believed that with all his heart, and he documented the, the events for others to know. Luke has written an historical document. He was an eyewitness. He wrote down what he saw during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. He reported supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies. Now listen, listen he, he didn't pull any punches. He just wrote what happened. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't try to explain, you know, if you just do this or, you, you know, let me look at it this way. He doesn't do that. Luke tells us about the natural events, and he rolls right into the supernatural things of God without hesitation. It is as a matter of fact. He states the supernatural events as a matter of fact. Just the supernatural events were as true as the natural ones. As Luke pens this letter, he has to go right into the supernatural as a part of the life of Jesus. How, how could he not? The, the, the account of the birth of Jesus Christ is a supernatural event in itself. We know it's, it's filled with angels, with predictions, fulfilled prophecies, and miracles. It has to be supernatural. Why? Because, listen, the life story of this baby born king of the Jews is the story of the creator of the universe coming into time and revealing himself as savior and as king and as God. It has to be supernatural. There's the answer to our question. This is why we, the world is still talking about the birth of this child the birth was not a natural event. It was a supernatural event. The creator of the universe has come into time, and God has revealed himself to mankind. 
This is where I ask all of us today to look deep into our hearts and ask ourselves, do I truly believe in the supernatural birth of Jesus? Do I truly believe it? This is a real question that we, we all must ask ourselves. We all must stop and take time and make sure we know. Do I truly believe that Jesus' birth was more than just a child being born, more than just a child being laid in a manger? Do I truly believe that it was a supernatural event? I'm asking everyone to do a self-examination today. To, to, you, you have to make sure that you know that you know the truth here. Why, am I, why do I do that? Why do I drive that point so hard? It's because I've heard story after story of people who have gone to church all their life. They knew the Christmas story. They've heard it hundreds of times. As a matter of fact, they knew all the stories in the Bible, but never understood salvation. They never understood that the birth of Jesus was an act of God. You know, they, they just went through the motions, you know. Church was fun. You know, people are nice, and I love hearing those stories, especially about that one about the baby Jesus. That one's so cute. But they never examined their hearts to make sure that they truly understood what God had done. So keep that in your mind. Keep that question on your mind as we go through the text. Do I believe that the birth of Jesus was a supernatural event? Let's look at what else Luke wrote for us. Chapter 2, verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the, day, the, the days were <coughs> completed for her, to, for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Well, that's easy to believe, right? You know, this, this, this part of the story kind of pulls at our heartstrings a little bit, you know? No room in the inn for the poor little baby. Baby had to be laid in the manger. A real natural event. This can be verified. Let's, let's continue. Verse 8. Now, they, they were in the same count country. Now, in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, God, Glory to God in the highest, and, earth, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Here comes that self-examination. Do you believe it? Do you still believe it? Or is this just some story? Do you believe in your heart that an angel of the Lord came to this earth the night that Christ was born? Do you believe without a doubt that the glory of the Lord had shone around them? Or is this where you stop believing the scriptures? 
Do you pick and choose what you want to believe? Are you one of those who only believes in the natural events proclaimed in the scriptures and not the supernatural events that are proclaimed in the word of God? This is where your faith comes in. This is where you check your faith. Everyone believes that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Everyone believes there were shepherds in the fields. But not everyone believes that his birth was announced by angels that we just sung about. I find it funny that the world believes in all kinds of angels and encounters with all so-called angels. I looked it up. Uh, one poll said that 40% of non-Christians believe in angels. The question should be posed, do you believe an angel announced the birth of Jesus? And we'll find out who really believes in angels. We need to get specific. Because those shepherds believe in angels. They do. As a matter of fact, they believe in a whole host of angels. They were there. They were eyewitnesses of a supernatural event. And they investigated what the angels proclaimed. They found it to be true, and so they proclaimed a supernatural event to everyone. Verse 15, chapter 2. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. I want to stop there for a moment. I would have, you know, here's where my mind starts wandering. Y'all know how I am. I would have loved to have been there when the, when the angels came and revealed themselves to the shepherds. You know what I'm saying? A night like any other night. Nothing special. Stars in the skies. They're watching animals sleep. And all of a sudden, an angel appears in the sky. We know they're afraid. I would have been. And then this angel speaks, and they understand what that angel is saying. And then and suddenly there's this, with that angel, is a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. I would have loved to have seen their faces when they looked at each other when the angels left. They hear this multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, which, think about it, it had to sound good. Oh, it had to sound so good. And then the angels leave. The shepherds are there by themselves. Sheep are snoring. And they're going like, did, did y'all hear that? Did y'all see that? I would have loved to have been there. Can you imagine? They were eyewitnesses of a supernatural event. And they immediately went to investigate to see what the, if what the angels had said was true. They find it to be true, and they proclaim it to everyone. They proclaim what they had seen and heard, verse 16. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This event truly happened. No one could change the minds of these shepherds and said, no, no way, no angel came. Nobody could do that. 
They know that what they saw and heard was a supernatural event. They know that only God can do a supernatural event. And that's why they left glorifying and praising God. They now believe in angels with no doubt. No doubt. They're not the only ones. What did it say? But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary did not question the validity of the angels. Why? Flip over to chapter 1 again, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will, will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And, his, and, his, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with which... which with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, be, Behold, I am, in, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Do you see why the shepherds who now believe in angels and, and now we have Mary who also believes their story about the angels? Because the angel had already come to Mary. Now we have several people who have eyewitnessed a supernatural event that pertained to the birth of this baby laid in, laid in the manger and have reported it to others. So when it comes to the birth of Jesus, the birth that the world knows about, we have real verifiable people and events. We have Luke, a doctor and historian. We have Caesar Augustus who declares a decree. We have shepherds and sheep, Joseph and Mary. We have no room in the end. A birth of a child who's laid in a manger. Real, natural, verifiable events with no doubts. And then we have the supernatural events. The definition Listen, the, you've heard me say supernatural many times, but the definition of supernatural is this. An event attributed to some force beyond scientific understanding or the laws of nature. An event attributed to some force beyond scientific understanding or the laws of nature. Things like the angel Gabriel who visited Mary and informs her about the birth of Christ that was to come. And then we have a host of angels proclaimed, who proclaimed the birth of Christ, who he is and what he will do. These are supernatural events. So the question is, 
do you believe the entire story about the birth of Christ? Are supernatural events as real as real to you as the natural verifiable events? Search your heart and see, because it's a matter of life and death. Here's another supernatural event that we just that will test your faith like no other. We just read it. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The virgin birth can't be verified. But it is so important to our faith, as we will see in a moment. The proclamation and the way in which Jesus came to this earth is not like any other, as we can see. Claims to be of a virgin birth, and we have angels proclaiming and announcing who he, who he is and what he will do. It's not like any other. It's not natural. And that's the reason we are still talking about or celebrating and proclaiming the birth of this child who was laid in the manger 2,000 years ago. That's why we're still talking about him. We celebrate Christmas because the birth of Jesus is the story of the creator of the universe coming into time, revealing himself as the son of God, revealing himself to mankind as king and savior of the world in a supernatural act. One that is attributed to some force beyond scientific understanding or the laws of nature. God came to this earth. The holy, holy, holy God himself came to this earth and was laid in a manger. Why did God do that? Why did God send his son? I'm glad you asked. Here's why. Here's why we celebrate Christmas. You see, man has a problem. Man, that's all of us. All of us. The whole human race has a really big problem, and it's called sin. You may have heard about it before. Every person except for three that has ever walked this earth was born with sin. We inherited it. God's word tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the problem with sin is, is that it separates us from God. Sin causes a division between us and a holy God. And we need to be made right. We need to be forgiven of our sins. So we must ask, what can sinful man do to make peace with the holy God? How can we be forgiven of our sins? How can we close that divide? What can we do to be seen as righteous in the eyes of a holy God? We need to know because this is important knowledge that we need to obtain. For the truth is, there is absolutely nothing we can do to satisfy God's requirement for holiness, righteousness, or, and righteousness in order to spend eternity with him. Absolutely nothing. There is no offering or sacrifice we can give to God. There's no amount of so-called good works we can do to save ourselves. God says our best works are nothing but filthy rags. Our good works are all tainted with sin. So the truth is, we cannot do anything to make ourselves right with God. We cannot do anything to save our own souls. Mankind is in a terrible predicament. That's the bad news. 
but we are not in a hopeless state. That's the good news. You see, there is someone who can help us. There is one who can make us right with God. And that person is that little baby that was born in Bethlehem, the one who was laid in the manger, the one who was called Emmanuel, God with us, the one whose precious name is Jesus Christ. He's the one that gives us, sinful man, the greatest gift of all. Oh, write this verse in your margins, Romans 3.23. Write this right here in Luke. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That, that's shouting good news right there. That, that's what we go proclaim from the mountaintops. Amen? God himself has provided a way for man to be reconciled with God. We are justified by his grace, the word says. We are justified by his love. It is a gift. It is a gift from God. Nothing we can do to earn this gift. We only receive it. God says, I am giving you the gift of eternal life with me. I, I am giving you the gift of forgiveness of sins. I am giving you the gift of a right relationship with a righteous and holy, holy, holy God. All you have to do is receive it. So do you see why? Why I say that we should be celebrating Christmas every day of the year? Because we are the ones who have received a gift that only God can give. When we understand what God has done for us, we celebrate Christmas every day. Amen? So how does God do that? How does God reconcile sinful man to a holy God? Did God say, hey, here's the gift I'm giving you. I'm just going to look over here instead of look at your sin. I'm going to turn my head. That's my gift. I'm going to turn my head. Here's your gift. Here's your present. I won't look. No. If he'd have done that, if God had just said, oh, don't worry about sin, I forgive you. Come and worship at, at the throne. If, if God had just overlooked sin, then it would mean that God would have set aside his justice. And he can't do that. God is a just God. If God overlooked sin, that means he would have to set aside his righteousness. Impossible for him to do because he is a righteous God. If he just overlooked sin, then that means he would have had to set aside his holiness. And we know that can't happen because he is holy, holy, holy. God cannot set aside any of these attributes because that would go against who he is. That would go against his nature. God's justice, holiness, and righteousness is immutable. Th this is what makes God who he is. God's justice, God's holiness, and God's righteousness is unchanging and absolutely consistent. He can't just overlook sin and say, oh, it'll be okay. So here's how we see how awesome our God is. Here's where we see why we celebrate Christmas. It's right here where we see God punish sin and provide salvation at the same time and not go against who he is. What did the scripture say? We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We are redeemed through Christ Jesus. 
The debt for our sin was paid by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It was paid by God himself. It had to happen this way. This was the only way God could punish sin and provide forgiveness for those who put their faith in him. This is the only way sinful man is able to be forgiven by God. We know that the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. That, that's God's justice. That's his righteousness. That's his holiness. The wages of sin is death. But if we read on, we are able to see how God reconciles sinful man. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So in this one verse, we see that our God is not only just, holy, and righteous, but we see that our God is loving, gracious, and merciful. God is so loving, gracious, and merciful that he gave his only son to pay the debt for our sin, to pay a debt that we owe for our sin that we could not pay. Jesus was able to do that because he himself is sinless and holy. Don't miss that. That's Christmas. Jesus was sinless because of the virgin birth. That supernatural act. Jesus did not inherit the sin nature that everyone else has. Because of that supernatural act that God did, the virgin birth, God was able to provide salvation for whosoever would believe. Whosoever. So you see, it took an act of God to provide the forgiveness of sins. Jesus was God, just like the angels proclaimed. He is sinless and holy, and that is why his shed blood is able to cover, cover our sins. It is that blood that clothes us in righteousness. And if you have put your trust in that blood of Jesus, then you are able to go to the throne and worship our Lord and Savior because God now sees you as righteous. It took an act of God to provide the forgiveness of sin. It took a supernatural event to provide the forgiveness of sins. We can't do it on our own. And because of the gracious act of that baby born in Bethlehem who was laid in the manger, the Son of God, because of that, God's justice was satisfied and so was his grace. Because of Jesus, God's holiness was satisfied and so was his mercy. We celebrate Christmas every day because we do not, we did not get what we deserve. God's righteousness was satisfied and so was his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But in order to receive that eternal life with God Almighty, you must trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You must believe in the supernatural acts of God, not just the verifiable ones. You must trust that that baby born in Bethlehem who was laid in the manger paid your debt for your sins. And if you do, you will be saved. You will receive the greatest gift of all, eternity with our gracious, merciful, loving Father. The world knows about the Christmas story. And as hard as the world tries to get rid of Jesus, Jesus won't just die. He won't just go away. His birth is the intersection of history. And he calls out to all, come, 
come and receive the free gift of eternal life. Amen? Thank you, Derek.